Episode 10, Wire Recorders. 7.15 a.m., Thursday, March 28th. Dave Jagger will give you a phone number to call to win a brand new Chevrolet Camaro. Because if it's cars you want, it's cars you'll get. And we really mean it. In every episode, hosts Dave Jagger and Don Nelson reach into their arsenal of decades of radio experience to entertain you with their most amusing, enthralling, and interesting stories. Suit up and get ready for today's episode. It's a red letter day, Don. This is uh, episode 10. Episode 10. 10. We're almost a teenager. We haven't gotten the teen part of it at the end, but we are 10 right now. Sounds great, man. Yeah. Great to see you again. Great to see you, too. And Don and I were talking earlier just kind of about the way technology has changed through the years and how it really affected our lives being either on the air or in management or whatever it was we were doing inside the radio uh and you had you worked with some really amazing kind of technology and worked with some companies and people that let you buy these things or at least lease them right Right. yeah exactly and of course a lot of it was low tech i know when we were talking earlier you had never heard of a wire recorder no and uh when i first started at kxrj in russellville uh for my junior high hit parade uh we in fact had uh instead of a tape recorder a wire recorder. It was a little, little thin wire, and it would break. But it was no problem when it broke. You just stopped it and tied it together in a hard knot, and it kept right on playing. Even through the knot. Right, right through the knot. It went on. So this was when we finally uh, you know, made it to tape. It was truly amazing. But long about the same time, uh, when we were using those wire recorders, uh, there was this big battle between RCA and Columbia, over the standard for singles. Columbia was pushing a 33 and a third little round single, and RCA had the uh, one that we've come to know and love, the 45, Mm -hmm. with the big hole in the middle. And they battled for a couple of years, and RCA won it because they put out a 1295 player that would uh, tie into your radio. Now, how did that work? Uh, it just You just plugged it in. It was like the old RCA jack. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that was it. And it actually had a spindle in the middle. If you could put 8 or 10, uh, 45 records in it. For so, $13. Yeah, for 13 bucks. Yeah, that was that was what wow. won, won the battle on it then. I'll be, I had, see, I didn't know that there had been a battle between the RCA and Columbia for that. Right. And the same uh-huh. thing, of course, with, with the color TV standards, the, the same thing between... Uh, Sony, the Betamax. Uh, oh, well, that was uh, a big one. That yeah. VHS, yeah. yeah. And and yeah. you know the Betamax format was actually far superior. It was. It just didn't record as long. Right. Yeah. 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 And uh, it didn't have the muscle, the marketing muscle right. behind it uh, yeah. at that time. Uh, all of a sudden, you end up with your music on cart. And I guess, uh, you know, you haven't played a record in a very long time, right? <laughs> yeah, I'll get into that in a couple of minutes here. That's, uh, But, yeah, some of the things just are even around the office, too. I mean, you were telling me about some amazing things that you ended up leasing because of the amount that they cost to buy. Yeah, the first thing was the, uh, the Xerox copy machine. 
which was about the size of a Volkswagen Bug. Uh, I mean, it was huge. And, and uh, literally, uh, you had to lease it because it cost a ton of money. And then fast-forwarding a number of years, uh, uh, I ended up leasing a Lexaton word processor. And oh. all this did was what Microsoft Word will do today. Uh, you know, type letters, type memos, type... Not, not word type, processing. Yeah, exactly, right. It's text. But this thing sold for $15,000. And it had this little bitty uh, CRT where you could see what yeah. you were typing yeah. in it there. Uh, that didn't last long. The price dropped, you know, enormously mm -hmm. uh, within that period of time. But also, uh, one of the things that fascinated me, of course, we all had the IBM Selectrics with, uh, with the little ball going around oh, and around. And, and uh, we, we always used... Uh, Dictaphones, uh, yeah. Yeah, that was great. I'd get in early in the morning, and, and by the time my assistant got there, I had uh, 15 letters for her to shoot out during the course of the day <laughs> on that on that dictaphone. Uh, that was kind of fun, uh, and and most of all, when I went over to Indianapolis, they had moved to IBM for their traffic and billing system, and in those days, uh, the only thing we had in the radio station was a key punch machine. And the key punch machine looked kind of like a spinet piano. And the traffic manager sat in front of this thing all day long. And uh, if somebody bought 60 spots, she made 60 cards. And she's put these cards in a box in a row. So it starts off 6 a.m. sign-on. That's yeah. card number one. Uh, 6.01, uh, the Don Nelson show. That's card number two. Oh, my gosh. And then IBM had runners who would come in the afternoon, pick up the cards, take them to the service bureau where IBM had this enormous computer that probably had, you know, uh, yeah, the Univac or whatever. Whatever those it was, were called. but, yeah. but uh, the iPhone I have in my hand is obviously a lot more powerful than that thing was. But, but they had to run these key, sure. these cards back. So they loaded the cards in and then they read them all and then it printed out the logs. Right. And, yeah. and then at the end of the day, uh, the first thing the traffic manager did was go through and see if there, what mistakes were made the day before, and she rearranged the cards, <laughs> then sent it back to IBM oh so gosh. they could set it up for the billing. Holy smoke. Uh, this is pretty amazing stuff wow. that, that we went through. Punch cards. You know, one of the, the really fun memories of, of uh, when I first went into Indianapolis, just off the top of my head, I remember thinking, I've never seen this many file cabinets in a radio station in my life. There were just row upon row of file cabinets. And no sooner did I take my coat off on day one and the office manager says, uh, we need to buy some file cabinets. <laughs> well, you don't have enough now. I said, so what's in all of those? She said, the records. I said, going back how far? And she looked at me like I was nuts and said, forever. Oh, my gosh. The radio station went on the air in 1925. Oh, my gosh. And they had stuff in the, in the files from oh, those oh days. It was absolutely an amazing time. Call, time to call Shredded and their big truck to come over and start. Of course, they, they weren't around back then either, but that... But, yeah. You know, just stop and think. Uh, oh it hasn't God. been that long ago when the only way you could get uh, a, a uh, letter from point A to point B was to mail it. That's absolutely true. I mean, that was it. That's right. You, you had to type it. You yeah. had to sign it. You had to put it in an envelope and put a stamp on it. Yeah. And there... And, old-fashioned snail mail. Exactly. <laughs> and actually, it wasn't until the, uh, the, the later part of the 80s 
that uh, I encountered the first Xerox fax machine. Oh. This was at, at Teleprogram, and Xerox sold these for $1,500. That was the cost of, of a fax machine. So uh, look at what we've done. Yeah, but that was a huge game changer, too. Oh, yeah. That almost put FedEx out of business, as I recall, because FedEx, before the... Uh, uh, that can't the fax machine came through. They were big for overnight delivery for documents. Now you didn't have to worry about that. You could fax it right away, and it was on that heat transfer paper. Here's what I'll bet you don't remember. What's that? FedEx actually did trade deals with radio stations for transportation because they had all of these little Lear jets running around with two extra seats in them. Uh-huh. And you could run advertising for FedEx, and as long as you wanted to travel on one of their routes that always went through Memphis. Yeah. You yeah. Know, uh, you, you could uh, run out to the airport in Indianapolis and jump on a FedEx Lear and go to Memphis and then swing over to Atlanta on the next one. It wow. was all a trade deal. Wow. And it ended up like uh, Tom Hanks and Castaway. Hopefully <laughs> not. Because he was a FedEx guy, as I recall, in that movie. And, you know, the, I had no idea you could do that. Yeah. And, and they charged probably very little as opposed to yeah, a commercial airline. Yeah, because all they had, you know, they had these two empty seats. Sure. And they were just looking for advertising uh, because wow. uh, they were trying to stay alive. Yeah. In, in Trade, the there you go. You got to see it on an airplane. Hey, That's absolutely. That's pretty cool. Mobile phones, uh, cell phones. But when it all started, it was a mobile radio. And it it was a huge thing that sat uh, all, all of the cars in the... Uh, Late 60s, early 70s, were had bench seats in the sure, front. Right. Sure. And this great big mobile telephone sat on the floor uh, where the middle passenger in the front seat would go. There were 10 channels on it. And if you wanted to make a call, you picked up the regular headset, the, the handset that, that we've used forever, mm-hmm. and you started pushing the buttons. And you could hear the other conversations going on. <laughs> So it's not terribly secure. So finally, <laughs> you know, you get up to button eight and you get a dial tone. You get tone. a dial tone. Yeah, yeah, I got right. an open yeah. line. Yeah. Right. And so you do it that way. And then along Do you came... remember the price for per minute talking on one of those old uh, radio telephones? Uh, no clue. Because it had to have been credit. And the only thing we ever remember, even in the early 60s, was that the only ones that had phones like that, those radio telephones or whatever you wanted to call them, were like the president of the United States, right, so he right. could always be in contact. And they had that weird-looking antenna on the back of the of the limos and stuff. Or incredibly important or rich people that had those. True. Or general managers <laughs> like Don Nelson. True story. Uh, I was uh, involved uh, heavily with the Indiana Broadcasters Association. Mm-hmm. Uh, one year we had our convention over in Terre Haute, Indiana. And my job uh, was to pick up our guest speaker, Dan Rather, uh, at the Indianapolis airport and take him to Terre Haute and back. And on the way over, I get a couple of these phone calls, and Rather had never seen one. And he said, i got to have one of these when I get back. This is amazing. So he did his speech and did all of that. We get back in the car, and we're about halfway back to Indianapolis, and my telephone rings in the car, and I pick it up, and I say, uh-huh, sure, okay, uh, just milk, and, and do you need eggs? And it's my wife calling to give me grocery list. 
Rather looked at me and says, you know, on second thought, I don't really need that. (laughs) (laughs) Sidebar about Dan Rather, KVIC in Victoria. Uh, Dan Rather worked uh, in radio. No, excuse me. He worked for a Class A minor league baseball team called the Victoria Rosebuds. Mm -hmm. And... He drove the bus. He lived in Houston. This is before he got into TV in Houston. But during uh, baseball season, he drove the bus for the Victoria Rosebuds. I think it was the Rosebuds or the Roses. But he drove their team bus to the different places. So he worked uh, in that little market that I was in. Interesting start. Yes, it was an interesting start for him. He's talked about that on TV before. But that's just a little sidebar. Yeah, a 10-channel phone in your car. Oh, that would We were styling. Oh, man. And then, you know, we move forward to to all of a sudden... uh, in Indianapolis, a competitor uh, put up a helicopter for traffic reports, and this was incredibly expensive oh, yeah. uh, to, to do this helicopter thing. And I was kind of bummed by it because they were, you know, they were uh, clearly getting ahead of us. This was Jimmy Hilliard at WIBC. Uh-huh. And by the way, in those days, which I it may still happen, I don't know, haven't been around in quite a while, <laughs> but in those days, general managers would tend to get together for lunch with each other about once a month. That's, and the, uh, that's a great thing. And the lunch would always start off with, wait till you find out what I did to you today. You know? <laughs> well, one of my engineers came in after the helicopter for WIBC had been up for a month or so and said, you know, they don't do their traffic reports live. Uh, I was listening to their two-way radio, and they, they do the traffic report. They send it down, and then they record it and play it back. He said, you know, we could actually just monitor this, and we know everything they do. And I said, go for it. Yeah. You know? This was terrific. Sure. And so we were just rocking along, having a great time, and then I had a scheduled lunch with uh, that general manager. And we sat down, and he said, uh, want to play something for you. And it was our guy giving the report of a serious traffic accident at 38th and Fall Creek. And uh, I said, yeah. And he said, we faked that. We didn't air it, okay? We just did it on our internal two-way, and it's really time you cut that crap out. (laughs) I said, you got me. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) That's pretty good. That's a great story. Jim Hilliard is another... Fine operator. He was a great broadcaster, and uh, uh, I talked to him a few times on the phone and was always impressed. I didn't know the man really that well, but I'm glad you did. That's a great story. You know, I kind of look at the way technology evolved in our industry primarily by the way it evolved in the studio. I was always fascinated, even when I visited my first radio station, of the mechanics, of the way everything worked. Mm -hmm. How you could open the mic and the consoles and the turntables and queuing up records and all the little minutiae that went around being on the air. I loved that stuff. Uh, I just ate it up and I couldn't wait for the next, whatever the next technology to come along was. uh, Until maybe toward the end. (laughs) But, uh, uh, for instance... You did. You talked about wire recorders. After wire recorders came commercials on three-inch reels. Right. You guys, you had little bitty three-inch reels of tape. 
and you'd cue them up on those Ampex or whatever they were in the studio. And, and you could never up. find the right one at the right time. Well, right see, here. there you go. And I, because I, I've seen, and we've all seen pictures online of, you know, uh, hooks with a bunch of little reels hanging up on the wall as opposed to a cart rack, uh, which is what three-inch reels evolved into, the, the, the four-track, basically a four-track or eight-track tape cart, cart machine, cartridge. Three-inch reels, cart machines. All right, we've evolved now from vinyl records, which everybody loved. I loved queuing up tunes. And oh, yeah. yeah. Q-Burn, of course, Q-Burn was that scratchy part of the beginning because the needle would... Just backing it up so Backing many it times, up so sure. many times and queuing it up to get uh, ready to be played on the air. So vinyl records to music on cart. That was a big thing. No more Q-Burn. No more broken records, no more needles getting knocked off a turntable. Now you've got music on cart. Throw the cart in there, put your jingle in front of it, or after the stop set, and man, you were ready to rock and roll. Just go on down the line. Phone calls in the air studio was such a big deal. It used to be such a pain to try to record a phone call in the studio when I first got on the air. I had to do a little patch cord, and I had to do all this stuff and get the recorder going and then record the phone call. Uh, then we moved in from reel to reels in the studio, a bigger one that was tied right in. Start the tape recorder before you answer the phone. Boom, hit the phone line. The engineer had everything hooked up. So from that horrible patch panel to just straight to a reel to reel. Reel to reel now? Ugh. Can you imagine it today? <laughs> I can't because they took up so much room and you see pictures of old studios. They look great sitting in there, those Ampexes and things that were, were leaning up at kind of an angle so you could operate them easily. By the way, what is that right behind you? It's an old reel-to-reel. Okay, just, just <laughs> wanted to call you out on that, but didn't mean to interrupt your story. Go the, right ahead. <laughs> the majority of our my air checks that I have are all on reel-to-reel, and I, and I, as a matter of fact, this is an old consumer one. The one, the other one I had, the ten and a half inch that broke is in for repair right now, so I'll get that one back. But uh, they, uh, you know, good luck trying to edit a, a phone call if somebody swore or you needed to get a big long pause out of there. You know, you had to have the splicing block and the tape and the and the, the razor blade, the razor blade, and do all that stuff. And it, you know, it was just hard unless you had a producer doing that for you. I didn't uh, initially, so that was not an easy thing. The advent of a, a thing called Vox Pro. Anybody in radio listening to this knows what that is. The very first, I talked to the uh, guy that invented the Vox Pro software when it first came out. And I was excited because it ran on a Macintosh platform. And it ran on a PowerBook, an old, old PowerBook. So I was helping him, and he was trying to decide which buttons would do what to record. Vox Pro was nothing more but a digital version of a tape recorder. That's all it was. And, and it sat in the studio, and the later versions were its own separate unit. All the phone lines went in there, and when you answered the phone, you start the Vox Pro, you could record the phone call, and it gave you a waveform in there. So if you needed to edit, you could quickly use a little spinning wheel on there, highlight something, delete it, put it together, and that way you could edit very, very quickly. The more you use the Vox Pro, the better you got at it. I know well, a guy the by more the, pro you were. The more pro you were. And uh, Steve Harmon, I think a guy that worked many, many years in country radio and is in the Country Music Hall of Fame for radio, uh, he said, man, I'm, Vox Pro's my thing. He says, I can just spin that 
that little uh, wheel and, and do crazy things with it. So goodbye, uh, Reel to Reels. Hello, Vox Pro in the studio. They were really expensive, too. I mean, they were two, $3,000, I think, when they first came out. And to have a, one of those, you were lucky. But the morning producers loved it. Uh, call screening software, Don, was one that you never even would think about when we got into radio. No, no. You just talk to whoever you talk to. Pick right? up the phone, start talking, right? Yeah. Uh, if you were going to put them on the air, that was a, the process. But the call screening software, once uh, things got into the 90s, was really 80, late 80s and, and 90s, was really cool because you could have your producer or a designated call screener, if you were lucky enough to have a show that big, to answer the phones, and they would type in on a computer, and you had a screen where you were standing in the studio. Mm-hmm. Sally on line two, you know, uh, she's a lunatic. Uh, or, you know, Bob on line three has uh, uh, comments about what we're talking about for whatever the topic may be. And so that way, when you picked up the phone, Don, morning, Sally, how you doing? Instead of saying, hi, this is Dave and Jerry. Who, Who is you? this? Right. Who yeah. are you? Uh-huh. Uh, so you could automatically get that bond going really quickly with them. Uh, so that was a big, big deal and uh, made it so much easier with the call screening. You know, you ran right past 1987. Okay. And in 1987, I was keeping track of all of my business on yellow legal pads. And someone called one day, and I couldn't find the right legal pad. And I decided, i got to have a computer. Oh, so, yeah. so I went to a computer store, and I, this, this guy kept me there. I was going to do this on my lunch hour. I don't know anything about computers. I just want a, a, a purple one, you know. And, <laughs> and the guy kept me there for two hours. He finally said, Don, you want a Mac because you have neither the time nor the inclination to learn DOS. Oh, boy. Smart man. And I bought a 1987 Mac SE with a, with a 20-megabyte oh, yeah. hard drive. And I still have it, and it still works. 1987. Now, back to you. Yeah, <laughs> and I I always were, was anticipating move to computers. We were getting so close. After Music on Cart, uh, and then moved to CDs after that with just barely above a commercial level uh, CD player in the studio. We had some really nice ones, but they even had, they were a little finicky. Uh, and uh, then everything was computerized. All the commercials, all the music, all the production that you did using Adobe Audition in the production room, getting rid of the reel-to-reels in the production room. All those things came on almost at the same time after CDs started to go away as far as in-studio on-air use. And, you know, it, getting rid of the reel-to-reel tape decks and all of that analog stuff Moving to next gen to operate your radio station or Scott Studios, which are two of the most popular ones, but extremely expensive to to uh, lease because nobody buys that software. You always lease it and get upgrades to it. Uh, it was an amazing time. I welcomed it. I knew that's the way our industry was headed. But by the time it came through, it almost got to be more complicated than using analog devices on the air. Uh, nothing but computer screens in front of you, digital console, which was nice. And I, I made, uh, I didn't make, but I asked our engineer to uh, have an additional input into my console so I could use my Mac, my MacBook Pro, my laptop. And so that way I could plug it in, 
and uh, have a channel just for it. So that way, if I went home and produced things at home, bring them in right on the computer. Well, my timing was incredibly great because <laughs> I didn't have to learn all that See? stuff. Well, I, I left back in the days when we were still playing records. I miss analog. I really missed analog at the end, uh, and a lot of people still whine and cry for it and build really cool studios in their homes with reel-to-reels and turntables and cart machines and things, and it's a lot of fun. But now, of course, the sad part about radio is for anybody in there is that there's just nobody in the radio station. You, we always talk about how in our day we could walk in and meet the owner of the radio station. You're lucky if there's anybody, if the door is unlocked to get into a radio station. Yeah. Because you don't even have to have uh, anybody in a centrally located studio broadcasting for that market or that frequency in your town. So it's, it's a, a little sad uh, to see those things go by the wayside. But it's an interesting look back at our history and the way all of that technology evolved. And we could spend hours on it, uh, but I, I think they probably are giving us the uh, Oh, they're giving uh, us the, the rap sign in the other room, aren't they? We're getting the hooks. Yeah, we're getting the hooks. Thank you, Don. Great to see you, Dave. Next week, same time, same place. We'll be here. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Radio War Stories. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Like us on Facebook at Radio War Stories and call in with your questions or comments here or on Skype. Skype at RadioWarStories.com. We look forward to hearing from you. See you next week.